Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Open in your Bibles, please, the book of Matthew chapter 15. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about harvest time faith. What I'm trying to get you to see is that there is a contrasting difference between natural faith and harvest time faith. Natural faith brings into account all the things you're going through and comes up and literally today's understanding is human reasoning that brings into that what we think about it, right? And then makes a conclusion. Harvest time faith, on the other hand, looks up into heaven, sees what God is offering. Remember when Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. He said those things because he was always changing his human and Jesus was fully human. And forgive me if you didn't know that. You're thinking, wait, Jesus was a human. He was fully human and fully God. Great trick that God does there. And, and uh, uh, he, is, he is fully both. And by the way, a sacrifice had to be in like kind. So he had to be human to be sacrificed for us or it wouldn't have counted according to the law. And so he couldn't fulfill the law without doing it according to the law. Anyway, so that's the issue. Harvest time faith looks up into heaven and sees what God has already prepared and then attaches that belief system called faith to the harvest that God is showing us. It always happens that way. Well, the reason we miss it is because we engage human reason. Notice, if you would, please, in Matthew chapter 15, notice it says in verse number three, he answered and said to them, why do you transgress the commandments of God because of your tradition? Tradition is filling the gap between the lack of biblical reality. When we don't understand what the Bible says, we will fill it with tradition. So many people, when I was talking about about uh, uh, how this worked and, and all of that. Is that note for me, no online notes? We had a, we had a hiccup. You're going to have to take your own dang notes. All you old people who have pencils and paper, great. All you young people who still have a, a device you're addicted to in your hands, write them on there. Anyway, boy, I'm, I'm kind of liking this new thing that you give me all this information there. So that's, that's awesome. But anyway, he said... They, they, they've, they, they neglected or they transgressed or they went against the commandment of God by their tradition. And much of what we do today in the church is largely based on our understanding. So for an example, when I was talking about giving, many people still believe they're giving to church. The church, listen, we could have church. I could go out and get a job. We could... Open the windows and not have air conditioning. We could cut more windows and not have electricity. In fact, I told the worship team several weeks ago, I said, you need to plan a service with three or four songs that everybody knows for the, the possible idea that we have church someday without electricity. We're going to have church. We don't need electricity to do that. And I'm not, I'm not a Luddite. You know, I'm not one of those guys that's opposed to, to technology and and. and, and you know, improvements and things like that. But I'm just here to tell you, we don't need these things to have church. Church doesn't need your money. But you see, we've taken, turned that into tradition. And then here's what happens. The tradition energizes your human understanding and you make a decision about how much money the church needs. There's a common joke among pastors 
that if the Lord will bring a pastor to a church that the people will keep him humble by not paying him enough. Right? Can I just toot pastor's horns for just a second? You're anointed pastor, not just me, but you're anointed pastor in this area. Is as important to you as your doctor or your lawyer. He's more important than your car salesman or the waitress or however, you know, I mean, right? I mean, you go into a restaurant and you tip people. Why? Because they did something for you. I'm not asking for tips and I'm not underpaid. Okay. This church got that message long time ago and they've been a blessing to my wife and I. So don't, don't, don't hear that wrong. This is not a complaint. We live just in an astounding way. But what happens with this is that when people miss it, they'll allow their human reason to come in and they'll never have harvest time faith. Tracy and I talked with our missionaries in Australia last, last night or Friday night. And I always enjoy doing that because they call us at like 8 o'clock in the morning Australian time and it's the next day. So like we talk on Friday night, but it's Saturday morning for them. And six o'clock for us. And we always have a great conversation, a great talk. We, we love that. And, and we were talking about the project that we as a church and you as individuals joined in, in giving Bibles into Mozambique and some of the, the, the really impoverished nations that live in the scrub rush of southern uh, Africa. And he was saying how well it was going. And, and by the way, some of what we gave, they bought 10 bicycles for pastors. And now the pastors have a way to move from one village to the next where they're called to serve. See, the church had enough money to buy them all a Cadillac Escalade. But there's no gas stations. And they wouldn't have known what to do with it. But they bought them bicycles because they know how to maintain them and because it works in the culture and the environment that they're in. And he says, we, we just want to give Bibles away. And, and I said, then pray this way. This was my, our, our instruction to them. Pray this way because what was happening was as they gave Bibles away, the heart of the pastor was so big that he would cut his own personal Bible down into pieces so that everybody could have a little piece. I said, so let's, let's agree together to pray that the day of God's harvest is upon us where no pastor has to cut his Bible up because he's got one to give away. How simple is that? But that's harvest time faith. It says, let's just believe God that every pastor over there has enough resources and maybe we can be a part of that where they no longer have to cut Bibles up to serve a village. And let's not just give them to pastors. This happened the last time that you all were involved and they began to give them to moms. If you give them to a mom, you know who she's going to teach first? Her own children. And if you'll teach the children, they'll change the nation. That's God's harvest. If you say, well, pastor, but that just costs a lot of money. What does it cost to change a nation? And see, we just got to figure that out. We got to quit with the tradition where we, we, and part of the tradition that we fight against is being Americans. Many of you have more Bibles than you can imagine. Two, three, four Bibles in your, in your house. Some of them still creak when you open them. 
If your Bible creaks when you open it, open it more often. It'll stop. But in, in, some, in some areas, they, they don't even have. And when we look up into heaven, we say, well, yeah, we, you know, we, we sure need to, to, to give them more Bibles. I talked with Pastor Brian and Sarah, and, and they found a, a, a publisher that will do Bibles between 4 and $7 a piece. And I said, if we lived in a city that had a Starbucks, a good portion of our church or coffee shop, a good portion of our church would spend more than that every week at the coffee shop. I was in a coffee shop recently and it cost $32 for four of us. That's five Bibles. Should we not have coffee? No, we should do both. Right? We should do both. Amen. So we talked about harvest time faith. And where we're going to spend our time today, at least part of it is in John chapter 4, if you'd like to turn there. John chapter 4. We talked over the last several weeks about three issues that harvest time faith combats. Natural faith cannot combat these things. Natural faith cannot lift its eyes up and see heaven. It takes a harvest time faith. You have to believe. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6, that without faith it's impossible to, believe, to please God. We must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. There is a reward to looking up into heaven. It literally is the ability by the Spirit to see what God intends to do. And I know that some of you are going, oh, I've never heard anything like that. That's just crazy. No other church teaches this that you can see into heaven. It's okay. You're here today. We're teaching it today. You have the ability... As a person who has been born again, who is not governed by your flesh, to see with your spirit eyes. Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. The eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Ephesians chapter 1, about verse 17. You can go look it up later. But notice in John chapter 4, it says in verse number 35, Jesus talking, you've got a red letter Bible, it'll just help you. It says, do not say, notice what he's getting ready to tell you to do here. He's saying, don't say this. Don't paint yourself into this corner of only having natural understanding. He says, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Now stop for just a second. What he's talking about here is your ability not to know how things work on the earth, but your ability to know how things work in heaven. He's saying, don't say this. He doesn't want you to process life through a natural filter. So natural faith says, when we get to the harvest field, three months, four months from now, it's going to be awesome. And he says, do not say that. Do this. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. Lift up, take your eyes off of the natural and look up into the supernatural. And you say, oh, pastor, you are just crazy as a hoot owl. No one can actually do that. Yes, you can. But you can never do it with your natural eyes. You can never do it with your natural eyes. You know, it might have just been a colossal misspeaking for me to pray over Logan last week and include his wife in the prayer. That could have been just, oh, whatever, you know. I knew they weren't married. 
I did. I knew they weren't married. I don't remember saying wife, but I got information given to me today that said, hey, this is really funny, Pastor. You said this last week. Well, when you pray, you should pray not with your eyes on the natural, but your eyes on the supernatural. You want to you connect with what God is trying to show you and do in your life. But what most of us do through human reasoning is we look at what's happening in our life and we pray, say, God, oh God, oh God, oh God, please, God, please fix this. When in reality, when Jesus was crucified, the fix was already declared. The sacrifice of Jesus fixes everything. There's an answer to everything in this life through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we looked last week about, or two weeks ago, about combating worries. Worry is based on what might happen. That's what it is, what might happen. But if you look up into heaven, you can see what God intends to happen. I learned a long time ago in ministry that God intends to build the church. God intends that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God intends for the church to be a cultural style setter rather than, I don't mean style like what clothes we wear, but, but rather setting the, the function of culture. God intends for the church to be that place. We build upon the foundation that is of the prophets and the apostles and we build that church and the gates of hell cannot prevail. He intended for that to happen. I'm always amazed when people go to churches and the church is always whining. Oh, you can't believe how hard it is. First of all, if it's hard, it's because you're looking at the right stuff, the wrong stuff. You're looking at the natural stuff. You know, Tracy and I go through some really difficult things. You all are praying for us as we help our family. After this morning Sunday school, you should be praying for us as we, we remodel our house. You know, go listen to Sunday school. You'll get that one. But, but you see, it's, it's not what happens in the natural because we're, we are doing our best to be governed by the supernatural. To literally be what we see God being. Why wouldn't you want to be what God bees? <laughs> Why wouldn't you want to walk in the prosperity or the provision that God offers. See, this is, this is our quote. Worry is based on what might happen. A story built, literally a verbal story built, not considering the intended harvest results. See, when you look up into heaven, you'll learn what God wants and you'll do what Paul did in Philippians. He says, this thing, I've learned this. He said, I don't speak in accordance with need. He said, but rather I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. He drew a different conclusion. And in fact, when you get to the third, let's just look at that, shall we? I got time. I told you this would be way fun if you, if you would just make it fun. The people who do the best in, what did I tell you? Philippians 4. People that do the best in life are those who make the best out of life. Look at this. Philippians chapter 4. Let's begin reading in the 11th verse. 
He says, not that I speak in regard to need. Notice that he said, and and this word for speak there is the one, I just love it because it's so pictorial. It gives us this great understanding by what we we can see. It's the word L-E-G-O. There's a a great, I think it's a Danish or a German uh, uh, toy manufacturer that makes those little bricks that you step on at night. Right? That's the curse that most of us have had is stepping on the Legos that your kids leave out. But this word for speaking is Lego. It literally means to build a story. It literally means to build a story. And what Paul said is, I don't build my story in regard to need. It does not say that he didn't ever have any needs. He said he doesn't build what he talks about according to his needs. Because he says, I have learned. Notice that he learned this. How did he learn it? He must have learned it by looking into heaven and going, there's a different result of this rather than complaining about what I'm going through. There are so many times where we, where we literally just complain about what we go, I just can't believe I have, why me, Lord, what have I ever done? We just complain. He said, I learned. How did he learn that? How did he learn not to complain? I'm telling you what, he had a shipwreck. He was stoned a couple of times. He was thrown in jail for his belief system. And probably those are just highlights. He says, I learned. How did you learn that? How did you know there was a different way to live if all you ever did was look at this circumstance? And look at it and say, well, I'm in jail again. Terrible to be me, I'm in jail. Oh, pray for me, I'm in jail, woe is me. When Paul was in jail, he said, I know that God's going to complete a work that he started. And he says, I guess I must be here because even the palace guards are getting saved. That's Philippians chapter 1. I love it. I love it. Notice he says, I have learned in whatever state to be content. How did he get content with being without? Because he goes on to say, I learned how to have a bunch and how to have him have nothing. And he says, I've learned these things. And I want to show you his conclusion in just a second. Because it's the one you have on the plaque in your house. He said, I learned how to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to be without. Most of us don't know how to be without. Other than to complain. Does that make sense? I don't have enough beans and weenies. The month is still going and the money has ran out. And we complain. Oh, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Can I point out to you that God wants to help you from his position of abundance so that you can help others from your position of abundance? Rather than, oh, I need, I need, I need. Gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy. I've learned in whatever state to be. I know how to abase. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Now, here's the, here's the quote that you have probably somewhere in your house or you are really aware of it. Notice the conclusion that came out of his heavenly learning. He said, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, either Paul is the most arrogant person on the planet or he looked up somewhere other than what he was going through and said, that's what I can do. That's harvest time faith. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
right? You know, many of us believe we can do all things through Christ who rescues us. I don't think that's right, people of God. So we talked about combating worries, worries based on what might happen. We talked about combating fears. You can only combat these things with harvest time faith. If you do it with natural faith, what you're up against will be overwhelming. So when we combat fear, remember, they were in the boat and they came to Jesus, which I just love the story. They came to Jesus and say, don't you care? We're dying. Okay, so fear is based on what has already happened in your imagination. How many of you, don't raise your hands. How many of you are optimists and how many of you are pessimists? And if you're pessimistic, how many of you, when your pessimism kicks in, that it actually develops a story that makes it worse than how you saw it in the first place? You keep making it worse. I love it when I listen to political people. Evidently, evidently, the federal government is going to make standards for your ceiling fans. And they're going to make everybody who makes ceiling fans make a better ceiling fan. To save electricity. Because if we're going to run all our electric cars, we got to turn the fan down. Somehow it makes perfect sense to some. And so the study was that if you make them make a more fuel efficient ceiling fan, that it will save approximately $2.50 a year Yep, $2.50 a year. But it will cost at least $10 to manufacture the ceiling fan at the standard they're proposing. So that means if you buy a new ceiling fan, it will pay for itself in four years. No, it'll only pay for the increase in cost of it. And it'll move the air slower, but very efficiently. Okay. That was, now, now listen to me. You see, you're, I can tell, you've, some of you have heard all this stuff before. And you're going, that's right, Pastor. That dang government, they need to keep their hands. That's natural faith, people of God. That looks at the absurdity and says, well, that ain't right. They can't make us do that. And we become rebellious. I don't care whether they change the standards on the ceiling fans or gas stoves or whatever, because I don't think it makes any difference. And I don't think they can come into your house armed as heavily as it is. <laughs> to take your ceiling fans. Or take your gas stove. It is an exercise in futility. I know that in human reason. Can I point out to you that until China, India, and Pakistan stop burning coal to make electricity for their widgets, we are not going to have any effect on the self-cleaning oven called the earth. Can I also point out to you now spiritually that Jesus promised... That there would be a thousand years of natural rule and reign when he comes back. 
There's enough whatever we need to function however God intended, which by the way, he intends for us to function at a higher level than we are right now. See, you don't have to wait for the government to print money. You just need to hook up with God's plan. He'll bless you. Does that make sense? But what do we do? We energize our human reasoning. It doesn't make any sense. Many of you have known me long enough to realize that I like used luxury cars. The reason I like used luxury cars is that I have long legs, long torso, and a big head. I need enough room for all those things in the car. Okay, I don't want to be like your Labrador retriever hanging my head out the window because I don't fit. Okay, so I buy these things. And, and, and I, I want to point out something to you. I had a 1993 Cadillac DeVille. It was like a football field long. You could put six dead people in the trunk. It got 20 miles a gallon. I was plumb pleased with that. And I would just sit in that big old fat car and just drive. And now... My newer car gets better gas mileage than that. But if you're riding behind me, you have to detach your legs. Because the way they made it better was to make it smaller. That doesn't make any human sense to me. I'm trying to point out how absolutely tuned in to human reasoning we are. We hear these things and we just go, that ain't right. Bless God. You're not blessing God. You're angry at humans. And you've used human reason to get there. Are we together? Good. Let's look at that in the Bible. We talked about doubts. I, you know, doubt is when what's happening competes with what God said. But l- let me just take you into this combating human reason. Because that's really where I want to be today. This is in Matthew chapter 16. Now notice. Verse number five. So, can I get, we got time if you're okay with this. Are you having fun yet? Okay, it's pretty good. In context, in chapter 15, they just miraculously fed 4,000 people. Okay, so they, they're, just, they're just leaving that. They're leaving this time where the Sadducees who didn't believe in the miraculous, that's why they were sad, you see. (laughs) Some of you will never forget that. So they just had this argument about about them seeking a sign And Jesus talks to them about how they see the weather, but they're not even smart enough to understand what God's doing. You say, if there's a red sky, that's okay. That's the context. And then it said, and when his disciples had come to the other side, this is one of those times where Jesus said, let's go to the other side. If you look at this on a map, Jesus almost looks confused. It's about 10 miles by float on a boat from the city that he went to to the city he's going to. It's just a, it's just a little day trip. 
And he was always telling them, let's go to the other side. And I think the point is that God had a perspective in who to minister to next. The easy way to do that would just be stay on the road and hit. It's, in a, it's an area called Decapolis. There are 10 cities there. So just get on the road, dummy up here, get on the road and go from here to Yuma, to Otis, to what's that little town with the gas station? Plantner, thank you very much. We can evangelize there. We'll go to Plantner, then we'll go to Akron, then we'll hit, it just makes more sense to just hit every town on the way to Denver. But Jesus gets in the boat, floats around and God picks a different city that's not in order. What is God doing? It would be way easier to do this in order. Just stay on the road. That's human reason. We are so naturally bound by human re reason. He got him in the, in the boat. And I, I personally, if I'm one of Jesus' disciples and we're getting close to the end of his life, which I only have that luxury because I've read the book, but we're getting to the place of his crucifixion. I want to say, hey, let's streamline this just a little bit. Let's talk about the efficiencies of ministry, shall we? And I want him to stay on the road. Let's just go this way. We know where you're going. You're going to Jerusalem. They're going to kill you there. But it's a really good thing after they get you killed because you raised from the dead. And then you wander around for 40 days showing yourself to everybody. And then you resurrect. And that's when the party starts. Let's do that. I don't know why we keep going across the, you know, the lake. Going, Can't we just do the next little city, God? I mean, it, wouldn't that be okay if we just, you know, it's like right here. It's a, it's a, it's less than a day's walk. That's how they did things. Verse 5, now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Listen to me carefully. The issue of natural faith always surrounds what you can do. It revolves around you. Can't you take bread? Well, remember the context? They had just fed 4,000 men plus the women and children and took up seven baskets of leftovers. And they're worried about not taking the bread they can carry to feed Jesus. Looks like Jesus comes with his own personal spiritual smorgasbord. He uses creative miracles. Where does he get his creative miracles? You know, when, when, they, when they stole the little boy's Happy Meal on the 5,000 deal, they say, hey, we've got a little boy here with, with like five fish and two loaves. And he said, well, that'll work. And he took those things in his hands and he held them up to heaven. And he changed his perspective and he began to break those and give them to his disciples after the people had sat down in groups of 50. 100 groups. 100 groups. 12 disciples. That makes sense? It took nine rotations, eight rotations, pick the number, to get everybody fed from these five fish and two loaves. He changed his perspective on what they had. See, Jesus consistently lived with harvest time faith. When they didn't have the temple tax, Jesus didn't say, well, you know, that temple tax, it doesn't apply to me. I'm the son of the guy who owns the temple. I mean, that's what he said. He said, cast your, cast your line over here and pull up that fish and get the coin out of its mouth and go pay our tax. Man, I want to learn to fish like that. But it's a one-time deal. Why? 
why did Jesus stop what we thought was a spiritual progress to talk about natural things? Because he saw his father doing it and it contained a lesson of spiritual leadership. That's what this is. Now notice he says that they forgot to take the bread. And Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. If you are naturally functioning, you will look and say, don't eat the bread of the sinners. Don't eat the bread of the people who don't understand. But he's not talking about bread. See, the same way when he said, don't say there's four months to the, to the harvest. He says, don't pay attention to that. Pay attention to this spiritual reflection that comes from following God. And so the, he, he said to them, he said, um, beware of that. And so then look what it says in verse 7. It says, they reasoned among themselves. I love this because they took what they knew of the natural and they came up with a conclusion. He said, it's because we've taken no bread. He says, beware. It's like, it's like, don't go to that restaurant to get your bread because they're not good at it. It's completely natural. It's completely filled with human reason. They reasoned among themselves. They literally had a debate and created a conclusion that took them away from what Jesus was trying to teach them. I mean, this is just right after they'd fed all these people. He's not talking about food. Jesus being aware of it. I think sometimes God will give us opportunities to explore the lack in our character. Let me see if I can explain this to you. When you meet with God, he leaves a mark called character. That's how the Bible defines it. Character is the mark left by meeting with God. It's the same way if you ever look at jewelry and you see on the little, on the little deal, or if you turn your china over, it'll have a maker's mark there and it'll tell you where it was made, who made it, all that kind of stuff. If you have jewelry, it'll tell you the carat weight of your gold or any of those kinds of things. It's called a character. Okay, That's what he was talking about. They would have understood that. So, so when, when we have a character deficiency, what God will oftentimes do is take what we're so prone to look at and teach us through that how not to look at it anymore. He'll teach us how to change our character so we have the capacity to carry the harvest of heaven. Are you all with me? Breathe loud so I know you're living. He'll, he, will, he will adjust our character so that we can carry the harvest of heaven. He designed us to carry the harvest of heaven. See, that's why he taught his disciples. He said, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, pray this way. Why? Because it increases the capacity for you to carry what's in heaven. You are a vessel to carry the intent of God from heaven's perspective into human perspective or into worldly perspective. See, that's why he says it's not warfare against flesh and blood. The number of people in church today who have an us against them mentality is absolutely frightening. We actually think we have to be opposed to things to prove what we're for. That's human reasoning. I mean, 
Paul said in Romans, I don't really like it, but Romans 13, he says, there is no government that's been appointed other than the one I appointed. Oh. So take your eyes off the one that's in office right now if you don't like him. And look up so you can see what God's doing. Rather than complaining about what man is doing. Well, amen. I mean, it gets quiet. Because you see, what, what, what they did is they took human reasoning, they got together, and they decided that they had come up with a conclusion about what Jesus was talking about or what Jesus was doing. Jesus, in verse 8, being aware of it, said to them, <laughs> How many of you would like to have this experience? Where you and seven of your far, smart friends sit down together, come up with the best solution. I mean, it is so good. And Jesus comes along and says, Oh, you have little faith. Why do you faith? Why do you reason among yourselves? <laughs> because you brought no bread. Right now, the church is captivated by human reason. And we're talking about, well, you know, the government this, or, or this is happening, or that's happening, or what if they do this? First of all, not a single thing is going to take Jesus by surprise. And you say, well, I don't know, but it's going to take me by surprise. Well, that seems to be a character issue where God is increasing your capacity to carry heaven's intent. Well, amen. I know some of you are going, really? Yeah, if your capacity is too small, you cannot carry the intent of heaven. Does that make, does that make sense? You say, well, how do you know it's too small? Because you still have the character, right, where, where evil things exist. You still have a, a I'm going to teach you about this next week. I think you'll be blessed, I hope. Because this human reason, it produces a natural faith. It produces a natural faith where we think we know what needs to be done. Notice it says in verse 8 again, why do you reason among yourselves? Why do you try and bring human understanding? In fact, I have a quote. Human reason brings human understanding to the question at hand, but it's not God's intention of harvest time faith. Human reason, we say, oh, I know what this is about. I know what this is about. Don't you try and convince me different, Pastor. This is about them taking over the world. Did I point out to you that Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it? Cannot prevail. It is not possible to prevail against what God is building in the earth today. And we get wound up beyond belief over what humans are doing. And I, I mentioned the self-cleaning oven of the earth. Can I, can I, can I just point out to you that this is a closed system. Earth is a closed system. God is cleaning the air. God is moving the water. You, you don't run out of water. It just goes from one place to the next. You say, well, yeah, but it's not right here. Well, then adjust. Look up into heaven. The people who adjust first are the ones who walk in the blessing of God's intent. When I realized I wasn't in competition with the other pastors, I've been walking in the blessing of God's intent. God wants pastors to be in relationship. I probably do three or four a week. Phone calls, FaceTime, different things like that. You say, well, why do you do that? 
Because that's what God's called me to do. I looked up into heaven and I saw God using pastors. I went, well, okay, so let's get involved and potentially help who God is using. You say, well, I don't see that. That's because it's not your harvest. It's mine. He says, do not reason because you've bought no bread. Do you not yet understand? Notice that he brings in all of their past experiences showing them that he took, those thing, took them through those things so that they would understand how heaven works. Isn't that awesome? <coughs> Verse 12. After Jesus, you know, he wasn't talking about yeast. My wife and I love to bake together. And I probably buy things in volumes that maybe you don't. But I normally buy yeast by the pound. A couple of cycles ago of yeast, I had about four and a half or five pounds of yeast. And it just wasn't great yeast. It just didn't work well. And I didn't like it. And, and what did yeast do? You put, honestly, I can make seven or eight loaves of bread with a third of a cup of yeast. Okay? So, so I can make a lot of bread with just a little bit of yeast. Why? Because it just goes through and connects and changes the, the, the composition of the bread and actually puts into motion the creation of this elasticity that makes bread good. I know how the chemical thing works there. Okay? And my yeast just wasn't that good. And I thought, man, this is bad yeast. And I don't remember what it cost. It didn't cost much, but we were walking through our restaurant supply store that we like, and I saw the yeast, and I thought, I'm going to buy this yeast because I know this yeast is good. And it'll work, and I'll just throw the rest of it away. What the point was, he wasn't talking about bread. He wasn't talking about how yeast works in bread and how the bread of the Pharisees and the bread of the Sadducees were. He says they understood in verse number 12 that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine or the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, listen, if you don't align yourself appropriately away from religious tradition, and that's what it was. So the Pharisees, um, they believed in tradition. They're the ones who came up to, to, to Jesus and say, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? And there was a ceremonial ritual that they were supposed to go to to prove to everybody who was watching that they were clean so they could eat. It wasn't about the eating. And Jesus dealt with them. And so that's what the, the, the Pharisees, they believed in all that tradition. And the Sadducees, they didn't believe that God could do anything. You know, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They, you know, they didn't believe in what makes us Christians today. He says, so beware of that doctrine. Beware of that teaching. He was getting them to recognize that every teaching has a spiritual subset to it. <coughs> Excuse me. That attempts to bring into function the author's intent. If God authors your teaching, then he's at work bringing to pass the intent of that teaching. So if God authored this teaching inside of me for you today, then he wants to bring to pass the intent of that teaching. He wants you to look up and see the harvest in heaven. The fields are white unto harvest. He wants you to see that and be prepared to do what he's set in front of you. But if the author of your teaching is not God, the same principle works. He's trying to put into play what the author of that teacher, of that teaching has as its intent. 
So the devil is hard at work today to get Christians to abandon their Christian love and their Christian unity over the cause of politics and other ugly stuff. Now, does that mean you shouldn't be political? No, it doesn't mean that. It means you shouldn't hope for the other side to die. You say, well, I don't do that. Well, okay, stop cursing them, please. Not because it's hard on them, right? It's hard on you. That lives in your heart. You think it would be better off. I remember <coughs> the first time that I had to deal with this is when I thought after 9-11 there would be a good idea just to drop an atomic bomb on the Muslim countries of the, nation, of the world. That'd be good, just get rid of them. Hallelujah. Those are the same people that Christ died for that I wanted to kill. I don't think that was God's plan. So when I put my eyes on that plan, that plan was to separate me from my God. It's at work. Christians today who are frustrated and angry and not acting like Christ. Why? Because of human reason. Because of human reason. Does that make sense? Notice the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, I'll close with this. Okay, you've had enough fun for the day. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, just write this down in your, in your notes. It says to take every thought captive, every imagination captive. You have to get your thoughts and take them through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There, it's on your screen. Casting down arguments or imaginations every high thing that exalts, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Literally, does your thought process survive the crucifixion? Does your thought process survive? See, human reason is what God's trying to get out of us in many cases. And it will not survive the obedience to Christ, the death of Christ on a, on a, on a, on a cross, the crucifixion of your thought life. And if you need help with the crucifixion of your thought life, just think back on what you might be thinking in the last 10 minutes because I went too long. I know it happens in church where people go, is that pastor? Is he done yet? I mean, praise God. Hurry up, pastor. I'm getting hungry. You know, it's 20 minutes from the church to the nearest restaurant and we got to go and I'm kind of tired and, you know, I'm tired of sitting here and... Human reason just kicks in naturally. We've got to take thoughts captive, not so that the pastor can, can preach longer, but so that you can get out of the preaching what God intends for you to get, which is the accomplishment of what you saw in heaven on the earth. Amen. Did you get it? Human reason <coughs> will keep you focused on what you believe should happen on the earth rather than what God has already set in motion on the earth, being done on the earth as it is in heaven. That's what he said in motion. Amen? Amen. So put up my last quote, would you please? Harvest time faith is a result of surrendering to his plan rather than striving to complete it. See, we believe that God's called us to complete some things, but in reality, nothing can stand against what God is building in the church. No government, no, no evil, no darkness. It cannot prevail 
against the intention of God through the church. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. Come on, music team. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. I hope you learned. I hope it made sense to you. Come back next week when I'm sure you'll be blessed beyond measure when I meddle in your character deficiencies. Amen. Father, thank you today for this time, for teaching us by your word, for helping us, Father God, to see that natural faith cannot, cannot compete with, cannot conquer human reason. Natural faith doesn't do that. But harvest time faith looks into heaven and sees what God wants to do, what Jesus is saying. And, it's, and then they say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We've learned those things, Father. We take the harvest time faith and we say nothing is impossible to those who are following you. So we thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live. And you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.